guys, this is Kansas Altcoin Buzz Ladies, and we are on episode number three. Today it's just Brooke and I, so it's going to be kind of a more conversational episode. Uh, Brooke, go ahead and say hi. Hi, guys. Uh, Brooke and I will be going back to basics. Basically, we're going to be talking about a lot of fundamental principles that a lot of newbies getting into the space have a hard time kind of getting a grip on it. I know it took me a long time to get on the technological side and to figure everything out. So we're talking about um, what is a blockchain? What's the difference between a public and private blockchain? Uh, let's see, what else are we talking about? We're talking about uh, cryptocurrencies. And we are going to talk about um, the mistakes that people make in the beginning and more, uh, more so about privacy. And we're going to make sure that you guys know where to store your coins when it's not on the exchanges because we're starting to see more and more of exchanges being hacked into and people losing their, their investments and a lot of their money. So we'll be talking about all that stuff. But to begin with, let's we're going to pick a new story. Brooke, go ahead. So the new story I picked this week is regarding SegWit or Segregated Witness. And basically, these Bitcoin exchanges added the technology to make the transactions 20% cheaper. So Coinbase and Bitfinex, which are the two largest exchanges by the US dollar Bitcoin trading volume, they adopted this software. And in theory, it's going to lower those transaction fees by 20%, but it's also going to speed up the trading across the network. And that's a big deal because these high transa transaction fees are one of the key reasons we saw the fork from Bitcoin to Bitcoin Cash. So, um, you know, it was a smart move. It showed dedica dedication to fixing some of the problems that we're encountering. And it shows that there is actually action being taken in order to make this technology more user friendly. So hopefully that will lead to more mainstream adoption. Didn't Coinbase just adapt uh, itself to the SegWit? I believe they did as well, yes. Okay. Yeah, I heard about that and I looked it up a little bit. And I think that's one of the biggest issues Bitcoin is having is their transaction fees increase because um, they're not able to keep up with demand. And so they're, it's kind of a, a solution to a problem that Bitcoin has been having. Exactly. And definitely, you know, a lot of the... Other crypto uh, currencies, kind of Bitcoin Cash and Ethereum, definitely compete with Bitcoin on that level. So it's good to see that they're trying to do something about it. And hopefully moving forward, it'll just be a really positive transition. Yeah, awesome. OK, so my news story uh, that piqued my interest this week actually happened the 23rd of February, and it was the update of the Weiss ratings. And I know that when this first came out in January, it was a big Thing because this is the first time cryptocurrencies actually had a um, had a letter grade towards its cryptocurrencies, and the Weiss Ratings is actually a research firm that they usually do insurance and they also do ratings for stock market picks. It's needed because everything right now is so crazy and so volatile that this is a more rational, re reasoned research that investors need uh, to. It's a tool to use to pick more sound investments, especially for long-term holders like you and I, Brooke. So they have four sub-models that they go by. Number one, they go by risk index, which is how much downside potential each cryptocurrency has. Number two, they go by a reward index, which is the potential return 
um, for their investment and growth-wise. And then number three is technology index, which means is it robust, is it flexible, and is it scalable uh, for adaptation, which leads you to the last and final index, which is fundamental. And like I said, uh, is it adoptable? And what about how secure is it and how is it performing? So transaction speed, et cetera. And like we talked about with the SegWit, that obviously was a bump for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that adapted SegWit because right now the transaction speeds are slower than other coins. So no one got an F and there was only one A. (laughs) And uh, so the E's ratings was Novacoin and Cork, which I haven't really looked into. Have you? I have not. Okay. So... And then D's was Whitecoin and Rise and Bitcoin Cash. Funny, I just did a video uh, about Whitecoin and Rise. And uh, I could definitely see why it's a D because Whitecoin is all it is is a uh, a wallet. And it, they're trying to be a decentralized operating system, which works on Linux. And Rise, Rise was another platform that um, when you could build decentralized applications on. And we see that. Uh, more frequently nowadays is these platforms that want to build dApps upon them. And then Bitcoin Cash, of course, such a controversial uh, topic because it's the fork of Bitcoin. Of course. Yeah. So C's was, you know, what's up? Uh, do you know anything about how Neo rated or if, if that was? So Neo actually got the only A out of everything. And ah. so C was Verge, Zcash, Litecoin, and B's was Lisk, Ethereum, Steam. And Stellar, which is actually funny because you always see Ethereum as one of those top uh, performing investments that a lot of people go long term in. I think Jeff and I are very long term Ethereum, and Neo was the only one that got an A reading. And why do you think that that is an A? Um, I love Neo. Neo is definitely one of my long term holds. But one of the thing that one of the things that I think kind of sets it apart is it does support a number of programming languages and so it kind of stands to reason that as time goes on there's going to be more decentralized applications that look to that neo platform because it is easier to build off of so it could be one reason yeah definitely you see the adaptation of a lot of their dApps that are starting to get listed on exchanges um, such as Zpin, which I'm heavy in, Qlink, which I'm also heavy in. And I'm starting to see that fundamentally Neo is going to go long term amongst a lot of other blockchain applications because they're taking the centralized approach with China and China is allowing them to, you know, start to monopolize upon cryptocurrency. So I definitely see why Neo itself and their and the way that it, the platform is being built has an A rating because right now it's the most it, it falls along all those indexes as the most ad- adaption it's robust and flexible and it has the most potential return because it's the only one that's being allowed to go through um, exactly it's like China's Ethereum yes exactly and that's why it's dubbed that so with that um, most of you you know what is Neo? It, well, it's a blockchain platform, much like Ethereum, where you can create smart contracts and decentralized applications. And a lot of that is very confusing because you're like, well, what's a smart contract? The easiest way to explain a smart contract is that it's a digitalized contract. It's something that you and another person, like you, make an agreement between each other, and then you put it down on paper, and then you signature it. Smart contracts is just an 
a trustless way of uh, putting rules and principles together that cannot be modified, and it's all on computer. So that was long. <laughs> I wasn't about to get into smart contracts, but that's basically essentially what a smart contract is. But what is a blockchain and how does it work? So a blockchain is it's a distributed ledger that is open source. It's a decentralized database for trustless transactions. Think of it this way. So it's literally in the name, a block and a chain. It's a bunch of blocks chained together. Uh, the block, as you see it, is a three-dimensional shape containing three things. It has a hash, a previous hash, and it's data. Simply the data that is in a block is, say me and Brooke want to do a transaction. We want to trade between us through, I don't know, uh, Ethereum. So I want to send Brooke one Ethereum and she wants to receive one Ethereum. Well, the transaction that is taking place plus the, the currency are listed in the data, which is only one part of the block. The other parts of it is it's a hash. A hash is basically the thumbprint to that transaction. It's allowing the block to uh, have an address or a digital identity to it. And uh, the previous hash is basically uh, taking information from the last block and allowing the consensus to occur and adding more blocks down the chain. Now, obviously, you know, the first block in a chain is called a genesis block and it does not have, it has its own hash, but it does not have a previous hash. So how can it be valid? Well, the genesis block is usually a software. It's hard coded into the software. So it's um, the blockchain. It was created to be decentralized and it also is a way for a, uh, and not to be tampered with. And if one is tampered, just by changing one little letter or number in the hash, uh, it, it the whole chain after that becomes invalid and therefore becomes corrupted. What do you think, Brooke? Do you have a, simp a simpler? Uh, <laughs> I mean, simpler you pretty way? much hit the, the nail on the head. You know, it really is just an uncorrupt uncorruptible system. You know, once those contracts are set into place, it is what it is. And um, those distributed ledgers are kind of the building blocks of the internet of value. And it does enable those um, economic interactions and the transfer of value to be peer to peer without the need for that centrally coordinated entity, which I think is just the appeal to most people. It, it is for me anyways. Definitely. It takes the middleman out of it. It takes the, the, the bank out of it because usually when you do a transaction between uh, two people, two peers, it has to be logged into your central database. It has to be confirmed. It has to be valid. And then it's sent out to that person. So basically everything you're doing, although most blockchains have an open ledger so where you can see the transactions, your identity is marked by that central figure. So they know who's sending it and who's receiving it and sometimes that causes a disruption because uh if you if i've never sent money to brooke before and she's living in a different country that sets off a red flag and therefore they flag my account and something like they close my account and then i have to go get a new debit card i have to confirm that i made the transaction and it's a whole entire mess right yeah absolutely so it it's it's the big appeal i think is just taking that middleman out and just being able to do peer-to-peer 
on somewhat of um, an anonymous level. It's not fully anonymous, but you know, it, you would really have to track somebody down and pin them to that uh, user address to to find somebody. So it makes it really difficult. Yeah, it adds to that whole anonymity complex, <laughs> right? Can you yeah. say it? And. Anonymity. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> we were having like a conversation before we started about how difficult that word is sometimes. I don't think I got it correctly, but you did. So there you go. I implore you guys to just try to say that out loud to yourself. It's harder than you think. <laughs> exactly. Um, there's also uh, a way to create blocks, and that's usually through a concept known as proof of work. And proof of work is mining. Mining is literally these people that are going out and building a, a platform, a computer, with no operating system. So you know how we usually start boot up our computers and we have the operating systems as the Mac and the Windows. Well, what these people are doing is they're building a mainframe with all of these graphics cards. That's why NVIDIA and Intel and all these processing um, chip processing stocks are going crazy. And that's why when you go into a store, you see empty shelves of NVIDIA and Intel and AMD and Radon because most of these people are buying this and they are distributing power within their platform. The more processors that they have, uh, they're, they're able to um, press start on a hash and it's computing so many algorithms per second and taking up so much power, electric, electrical power. And that way, uh, they're able to meet consensus. So they are going through all these algorithms to meet the right, the right link for the chain to create that block. And there's all the other ways to provide consensus to the nodes and the chain and the blocks. It's um, but mining does two things: it helps decentralize the network, and then it achieves ledger consensus. So, like I said. Uh, proof of work means that you're getting rewarded by the input that you're putting within uh, your uh, your computer, the way that you're hashing this. So that's proof of work and mining. And a lot of there's a lot of other things called proof of stake. And then there's delegated proof of stake. And then there's proof of believability. Then there's a Byzantine theorem. And there's so many other proof of proof of concepts that you know if you're more interested in this, you can start to look look it up yourself and become more educated in that sense. But um, to get into the space, you don't have to go that far. Just know what the basics are and what you, you know, what it's doing. It's a open source ledger that's showing every single transaction that is occurring through every uh, selling and buying of any cryptocurrency. And there's, there's a difference in blockchains. There's actually a public versus a private blockchain. Brooke, can you explain what a public is? Right. So the public blockchains, they basically, they use the computers connected to the public internet to validate the transactions. They bundle them into blocks and they add them to the ledger. And any computer that's connected to the internet can join that party. So for a transaction to be added to the blockchain of the, the network participants, have to agree that it's the one and only version of the truth. And that is done, like you said, Candace, through consensus. And that make, meets the agreement. So Bitcoin, I guess, would probably be the best example. Everybody knows, you know, it's a public blockchain. People can go in, you can track the transactions. 
And private transactions are similar in that sense. You can track the transactions, but you it skews the user information to make it harder to track down the person. Right. So like she said, uh, the public is a public a blockchain that anyone in the world can read and anyone in the world can send transactions to and expect to see them included if they are valid. And that's when you see, if you look at an open ledger, you see the process, the process transactions coming through at every second or every minute. And the consensus process, which she had previously stated, it's the process for determining what blocks get added to the chain and what the current state is. So it's that continuing process of data hash, previous hash. If it's valid, it adds to the chain, it adds to the block. If it becomes corrupt and there's some tampering going wrong, then that hash is tampered with. All the other uh, hashes and blocks that come after it are invalid and the entire chain is broken. So we also have consortium blockchains. And I'm only going to touch on this briefly. A consortium blockchain is a blockchain where the consensus process is controlled by a pre-selected set of nodes. So that's people that are uh, delegated to be and elected to be leaders of the nodes. And they are processing each algorithm and they're processing the hash and the data and the previous hash and building upon the chain. And they are elected so because usually it's a uh, they hold the most in their wallet. They have the biggest hash power and the, the most uh, the people that are on all the time. So they literally are leaving their computers on day in, day out. And if they have the most power and the most transactions and the biggest purse, they're usually the elected people of these nodes. And that's what consortium blockchain is. And it also goes into the Byzantine and, like I said, all that stuff. I think Neo and a lot of other big platforms uh, use a consortium blockchain uh, consensus. So Brett, go ahead and talk about a private blockchain. Private blockchains uh, typically only permit known organizations to join. So it's a little different in the sense that private, it's private, but people are aware of who you are. So they, they form a members only business type network and it has significant implications in the terms of where the potentially confidential confidential information moving through the network is stored and so and as a result who has access to it so from that you can see how a public blockchain might not be right for say an enterprise private blockchains uh, they consist of the permission network and the con consensus can be achieved through the process called selective endorsement and that's where the users verify the transaction and the the advantage of that for businesses is the only participants with the appropriate access and permissions can maintain that transaction ledger. So there's a couple of issues with that method. And one of them being that there could be threats from the inside, but many of them can pretty much be solved with a highly secure infrastructure. Max Cordex, uh, Cordex, which is the CEO of List, said this. The biggest advantages of private blockchains in comparison to centralized databases are the cryptographic auditing and known identities. No one can tamper with the data, and mistakes can be traced back. In comparison to a public blockchain, it is much faster, cheaper, and respects the company's privacy. So we see that with the adaptation of the blockchain technology, more of the infrastructures might adapt to a private blockchain instead of a public blockchain because like they are now, 
you don't know what transactions are being made. You don't know where the money is flowing, correct? So obviously, this is a big advantage to a lot of companies that want to be involved in blockchain and would rather the public eye not see their ledger. And that's what a private blockchain is. So with that, I know that was very heavy, but I encourage and implore all of you to look into blockchain and what it is behind it. Take a step back from the volatility, which is the market. And if you see yourself a little down by not making as much money as you did in the winter and you're kind of in that lull, take this time and take this opportunity to learn about the technology that you're getting in. It's always better to invest in something that you're excited about. Invest in something that's long-term that you see the perspective of growth in. All right, so we're going to shift from blockchain and we're going to start going into cryptocurrency. And I know uh, Brooke uh, knows a lot about the fundamentals that is cryptocurrency. I'm more of your blockchain Ethereum girl and uh, so I'm going to have Brooke take over a little bit. I'm going to ask her the questions and allow her to answer them for you. Um, the most basic question is, what is cryptocurrency and how does it work? Cryptocurrency is an encrypted, decentralized digital currency that's transferred between peers and confirmed in the public ledger via the process called mining that we talked about earlier. But it's thought of as, it's thought of as digital currency because it exists on the computers, right? So it's transfer, transferred between peers. There's no middleman, and the transactions are recorded on the digital public ledger, i.e., the blockchain. And the transactions in the ledger are encrypted using cryptography, which is why you get ding ding cryptocurrency. So. <laughs> Being decentralized means that it's controlled by the users, Bitcoin being the most obvious example, uh, Ethereum, Ripple, Litecoin, all of these. Uh, but what happens is these transactions are sent between peers from different wallets by matching the public nodes, which relate back to the user-held private passwords or the cryptographic keys. The transactions are recorded on the public ledger all of the users are given access to that ledger if they download that given wallet, um, the full node wallet, in fact. Mm -hmm. The transaction amounts are public, but who sent the transaction is encrypted. And each transaction leads back to a digital cryptocurrency wallet. And whoever owns the key or the password to that said wallet owns the amount of crypto on the ledger. So when you send or release cryptocurrency, um, they send from one wallet to another using the pri the private and the public passwords, and the transaction is then added to the ledger in the order in which it came. Yeah, usually those public and private uh, transactions are known as keys. When you're transferring from Coinbase to GDAX, you have a set of uh, numbers and letters that you copy and paste or use a QR code, and that's the way of transferring funds between uh, different exchanges or different wallets. Um, there's also, with it, you have exchanges, you have wallets, you have different types of wallets. Uh, you have, it's uh, either hot or cold. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about, is cryptocurrency safe? And what actions can you as an investor take to protect themselves? And so, like I said, wallets. 
uh, there's hot wallets and there's cold wallets and there's also exchanges. Uh, mostly the advice that Brooke and I both can give you is to keep as minimal amount of funds in exchanges as possible. And we're starting to see that more and more and more with all the hacks and the opportunities that people are taking to take those funds from you in whichever way that they're doing it. Uh, There's also ways to have a mobile wallet, which you can download apps on uh, Apple and Android. And then there's uh, your desktop wallets where you keep it on your computer. And then there's, uh, it's called uh, cold storage. And there's different USB-like drives that you can use to transfer digitally your funds from one thing to the next. And the one that I recommend using is the Ledger Nano S. Although the Ledger Nano S doesn't allow a ton of storage, it has space issues. So you're only able to keep about four types of coins on the Nano itself. And that's why I have a lot of other wallets that I use. I, I think I use Bitcoin Wallet. I use blockchain wallet, and I also have Chrome extensions that keep uh, my, I have a Ripple wallet, a Bitcoin wallet, and all sorts of things, and that way I can transfer it in between ledgers and nanos. Uh, I also keep, um, I, I truly believe that Coinbase has a lot of security behind it, so I do keep some funds on Coinbase and GDAX because it's, it's an exchange where I can buy and sell easily. But I use Binance and KuCoin primarily, and I don't keep many funds on that. So my advice to you is to look at your options. And uh, Brooke, what kind of uh, wallets do you use? So I have the Nano as well, the Ledger Nano S. Um, I recently put in an order for the Trezor. I don't know too much about it, but I've heard good things. So I'm kind of excited to get it and give it a try and maybe give you my opinion on that one as I move forward. Um, I have definitely been guilty in the past of leaving some of my money on the exchange. I think we've all been there once or twice before. But as it stands right now, I have my Nano. I also have my uh, my Ether wallet I use as well. Um, and that is it. Yeah, I looked into the Trezor. I know that Trezor allows a lot more ERC-20 tokens to be put on it. Um, For those that don't know, there's a difference between coin versus token. Uh, A coin is a set-alone cryptocurrency, and then token is usually utility within the cryptocurrency. So Ethereum is is the coin in the cryptocurrency, and Ether is a utility token that is used within Ethereum, much like NEO is the coin, and gas is a utility token. And there's a lot of other differences between them, but that's the basic fundamentals. And if you go to coin coinmarketcap.com, you can differentiate between what you're looking at, the top 100 coins and the top 100 tokens. So there's a lot of fundamentals that go into this technology. And we did a, a brief review and a brief explanation of... Uh, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and I just hit you with a little bit of coin versus token knowledge. And there's a lot of ways to keep yourself protected as well. Although, you know, knowledge never ends. So always keep yourself uh, in the know, especially when it comes to this wild, wild west and this new frontier. You never know what you're getting yourself into. So that way you're more secure in your investments and you're not losing money because you weren't in the know and you didn't know what you were doing, right? So with that, the typical mistakes that most people make when starting out. 
Brooke, what was your biggest mistake you made when you first started out and what would you do differently? Oh my gosh. Um, I definitely bought in on the FOMO. <laughs> when I initially started, I was so excited and I you know, did research and I kind of had that basic fundamental understanding of what was going on. But I bought in a, at a point in December and it took me some time to actually recover my losses. And, you know, I saw Bitcoin's price just like going up and up and I was like, oh my gosh, I've missed the boat. And, and I definitely did not. And it did. It, it took me some time to get back to neutral and to actually start making a profit. And so it was a really valuable first lesson is the lesson of FOMO, even though you read about it. When, when it comes time to actually apply it, sometimes your emotions get the best of you. And that happened to me in that instance, and I suffered for it. So don't buy into the FOMO, ladies and gentlemen. I think we all have had uh, <laughs> our encounters with FOMO. I more so had it in the stock market when I was trying to penny trade. I would get into these high volatile uh, stocks and I would watch it on uh, the platform that I was using to trade on. And it was literally like every single second that it was hiking, I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no. And then I was just like, okay, I'm going to buy in. And then the moment I bought in, I bought at that peak and it started to drop. And then I didn't place my stop loss in time. And so I would lose so much money because it's it's a roller coaster ride. So you definitely have to be careful of that. Make sure that fear that you're feeling, you think twice. But this is your well-earned money. And emotions 100% go into your investments. And so, yes, FOMO is the biggest mistake a lot of people make. And we're starting to see with Bitcoin only staying around 9000 10000 those people that bought in at 17 k 15 k even 12 k are starting to see like, man, you know, I've done this thing. I've held on like people are telling me to. I've holdled and all that stuff, but nothing's happening. It's it's a long process. And when you're starting to second guess yourself, which all of us do, all of us second guess what we're doing. You're not alone in that. Make sure that you do something differently than selling because the moment you sell, you've lost. Right, Brooke? Oh, 100%. I have very, pretty much anything I put my money into is a plan to sit and hold for a minimum of one year. So initially when I was investing and, you know, I, I did, I rode the, the wave and I, I lost some money and I was really discouraged for a minute. But when you have a plan going in and you're investing money that one, this is huge guys, do not invest money that you can't afford to lose because this is not a for sure thing. And some people kind of equate it to gambling. And I only look at it as gambling if you're messing around with the finances that you can't afford to lose. If that's your bill money, that's your bill money. So definitely investing money that you can afford to lose when things are high and when they're low, it, it doesn't matter. You don't lose as much sleep if you're planning on holding on for at least a year, just ride the wave and just don't even pay attention to your block folio because you're just going to torture yourself. Yeah, definitely. This is the time of the. It's the time of the process of investments where you need to walk away and come back when it's a green sea and uh, be a part of that excitement. 
And then when you feel sound to sell and you're re- you're ready to take your uh, investments and to use it outside in the real world, be okay with it. Be okay with getting out when it, when you want to get out. And don't look back. Like if you pull out a Bitcoin and all of a sudden you got a net 12K and all of a sudden it rises to 40K the next few days and you've already pulled out, be okay with that because you chose at that moment to do that. And that's okay. A gain is a gain. Profit is profit. If you are plus at any sort, you have gained off the money that you intended to grow. Also, <laughs> I actually have the biggest mistake that I ever made. Are you ready, Brooke? So tell me. When I first started out, I had no idea what this whole wallet thing and what the difference between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash was. I was like, wait, isn't it the same thing? And so I had this Bitcoin wallet on my phone and I wanted to send Bitcoin to Bitcoin. But what I didn't realize was that I was sending Bitcoin to Bitcoin Cash. No. <laughs> and it was no. com- it was completely different hashes, right? And so I sent Bitcoin to Bitcoin Cash and I was like, yo, where's my money at? Like, why isn't this showing up? This is supposed to be like instantaneous. Like, what the heck is going on? Oh my God. And I was like, th- and then I was just like, oh, crap. And I was like, well, can I get it back? And I was like, no, it's gone. Nope, it's gone. It's gone for good. And so it's gone forever. So here's a lesson for you guys check, triple check, whatever you have to do. When you're sending address to address, make sure it's going into the right thing. Make sure you're transferring Bitcoin to Bitcoin, Neo to Neo, Bitcoin Cash to Bitcoin Cash. There is so much check and balances with the cryptocurrency that it will slap you in the face if you're not paying attention. And I also have a tendency not to pay attention to certain (laughs) fine-tuned details such as that. And so I had it coming because it was a good lesson learned. But always make sure when you're transferring funds, you're sending it to the right thing. Because I guarantee you're not the only one out there who's done something like that. No, you missed one little uh, number or one little letter. It's gone. It's gone for good. It's up there in the in the space in technology space in the cloud whatever the hell it is it's gone it's gone for I get so stressed typing in those addresses I have to review it like 37 times and then 37 more times before I feel comfortable enough to hit send oh my gosh I know now I do it right now that I've lost that money it wasn't a lot of money but still it was a good lesson learned I had a couple people when they first started out in the space and I was telling them about it and I was kind of teaching them how to invest they did the same thing they were like Candace what what happened to my money? And I'm like, oh man, tell me you did it. Tell me you did the right thing. And they're like, oh no, I had no idea. So it's, it's literally like, it's learning something. It's like a baby learning to walk, right? This whole technology is a lot to take in. And I'm sure even this podcast alone, we could tell you blue in the face what these technologies are. And there's still questions that Brooke and I have about what's going on. Her and I are no in no way experts. We're only here to be a, a resource, one of the resources that you have for you. And so in conclusion, Brooke, uh, thank you for coming on here and having a uh, one-on-one conversation with me. I know that I learned from you and I'm sure you learned from me. And it's also nice to know that I wasn't alone in the mistakes that I was making and that I feel the same way that you feel about the current state of cryptocurrency and where it's heading, because I think a lot of people need to realize that they're not alone. 
you guys are not alone. And as you said, Candice, it's just, it's nice to have a support system. It's nice to know that there's other people out there making these newbie mistakes because that's what this is, is a learning process. And that's why we're here, guys, is to try to let you know some of these mistakes before you make them. Please just learn from some of the bad things that we've done. Uh, we love you guys. That's why we're here. Aw, full of love for sure. Hearts and kisses and all that stuff. Guys, this is episode three of Altcoin Buzz Ladies. Make sure to check us out on YouTube. We're throwing out so many good videos. I think someone called me awkward the other day on my first video, which is very disheartening, but it's not going to stop me from making them. And uh, Sarah, you know, Sarah's the cult favorite, of course. She's like the Jeff of, of Altcoin Buzz. And she's so adorable. Why Why wouldn't you want to be? Wait, How could you? you? Yeah. Why wouldn't you love Sarah? I know. And then Renee has some great insight, and so does uh, Haley. Haley uh, did a whole entire presentation on Steemit. And then Corey, of course, Corey has a lot of good insight as well. You know, we're keep giving you guys things that's credible. We will never put out things that are dis uh, discrediting or untrue. We are always going to keep to the basics. And when it comes to our opinions, know that we're advising ourselves as much as we're advising you. So we're not going to give you advice that we wouldn't take ourselves. So with that, uh, we're going to end this episode. And if you guys have any questions or anything, hit us up on our Twitter. You can find us at a buzz underscore ladies on Twitter and also our YouTube. Just uh, type in the search altcoin buzz ladies and let us know. Put some input in. And with that, Brooke, go ahead and say bye bye. Bye, guys. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. Thanks for tuning in.